Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. He's Lance Meadow. I'm John Schmoke. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513 or hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter if you want to get in touch with us. That way you can. And the Giants are coming off a victory, our first victory Monday of the 2019 season in about as dramatic fashion as you can imagine. Yeah. They defeat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 32-31. to Daniel Jones making his starting debut as a rookie quarterback had one of the, frankly, best debuts in NFL history as a rookie quarterback. Four touchdowns, two through the air, two on the ground, 23 of 36, 336 yards and two touchdowns. It wasn't perfect. He had a pair of fumbles. He had a ball that should have been intercepted. It was not. But uh, Lance, and we're not going to bury the lead here, that was as good of a debut that you could have imagined that everything you saw in the preseason that you thought or you hoped was real Looked pretty real against a pretty good defense in the Buccaneers. Yeah, it translated over. And this was also the first defense that game-planned to uh, slow him down. So I think when you take that into consideration, you know, that was certainly impressive as well. He stayed strong in the pocket. He was able to maintain his composure. He took several hits. He still made the throws. You look at all of that, I think that's another big factor as to, you know, why his debut was so impressive because most guys, they can't handle themselves in the pocket under those circumstances, and he did. And, I mean, there were a number of times where he threw down the field. The Darius Slayton 46-yard throw, you know, he had pressure in his face, and he still went to form with yeah, that he, throw. He read the pressure coming yeah. from his right-hand side. He shuffled in the pocket to the left. I think it was Nassib that was rushing off that edge at that play. It was either him or Nelson. I think that was Nassib on that particular play. Steps up in the pocket. Doesn't quite throw across his body, but he's almost fading to the left as he throws back over the middle to the right and hits Slayton on a perfect throw in stride. He beat Vernon Hargraves. The safety kind of stepped up, so it was man-on-man deep. And that was one of the plays. I thought he did show good pocket presence. He had a play in the first quarter where Shaquille Barrett got around the edge on Nate's shoulder, and he kind of got a piece of Jones on the shoulder and kind of pulled him a little bit. Jones stayed up, kept his composure, rolled out to the left, completed a pass to Saquon Barkley to convert a third down. Now, I do think in the second half there were plays where he held the ball too long, and that allowed the pressure to get home, and that's part of the thing rookie quarterbacks can learn. And I think the important thing with this Lance is the mistakes that he made are things that are correctable. And... Some of the plays he did make, though, are plays that are innate things to quarterbacks that are almost instinctual, and I think they're probably pretty hard to teach, and that he's showing those so early in his career is a very good sign. Well, even Pat Shermer mentioned that in his postgame presser, John. He Bingo. said, you know, the things that jumped out to them when they scouted him, they knew he had the intangibles, which are the things that can't necessarily be taught. But the things that they're not worried about, which are easily correctable, which is what you just touched on, you know, holding on to the football too long, you know, when to run out of bounds as opposed to go for the extra yardage, which was something that happened in the Cowboys game, if you remember, when he fumbled the football. Yep. You know, those things, just the more and more reps you get, the more and more comfort you get with the personnel, uh, you could certainly learn from those most mistakes. I mean, he was almost picked off on one throw, and I'm sure he's going to look back at that throw where there was double coverage, and, you know, unfortunately... You know, the Bucks. fortunately, I should say, the Bucks dropped it. So, you know, it didn't turn over and end to be bad field position for the Giants defense. But, you know, those are the type of moments you learn from so that you don't necessarily try to squeeze it into a very tight quarter moving forward. That play, by the way, was a third and 15 in the first half of the game. I think it was the first quarter. And he was trying to Benny Fowler on a deep end cut. And the Bucks were in two man, uh, two man, two man under, which basically means there's two 
men deep. The two safeties are hanging deep, and everyone else is a man-to-man. And Fowler runs a deep in cut, and that safety was watching Jones the whole time, and yeah. he jumped the route. Fowler could have ran a little bit of a better route, but I frankly don't think it would have mattered even if he did because Michael Stewart jumps the route. Hits him right in the hands. Mike Edwards. Yeah. Mike Edwards. I'm the, uh, sorry. From yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mike Edwards. Uh, Stewart's their defensive back. Who's their nickel guy? So Edwards steps in. They bolts him right in the hands. And it's funny. I saw a couple people tweet, and I was like, "What?" They're like, "Oh, give him credit for taking a shot down the field and not just checking it down." No, 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 no. The lesson there is that's why sometimes on third and really long, you have to check down. Yeah. Because if you try to make the play, if he catches that ball, Lance, that's the chance that gets returned for a touchdown. Uh, it could have easily been a pick six. That was the first thing yeah, that I thought. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. that's why sometimes fans might hate that check down on third and long. Sometimes better to live and fight another day. And I'm sure that's a lesson that Daniel Jones will learn. And better off learning that lesson on a ball that's not picked off than a ball that is picked off. Yeah, and those are the types of lessons that we're talking about, which you, you go back, you study the film, John, and you learn from that so that you don't repeat the same mistake. And remember, one of the things that Pat Shermer and Mike Shula talked about all throughout training camp, all throughout the preseason, Daniel Jones is the type of quarterback that he doesn't duplicate mistakes. They said that on multiple occasions, mm-hmm. John, that once they tell him one thing, whether it be mechanics, fundamentals, you name it, he doesn't go out there and repeat the same thing. So that, I think, is an encouraging sign. And it's going to be more and more interesting to see how he adapts to different defenses that are going to throw different tricks his way and how he responds to that. But, you know, for a team that was very aggressive, Todd Bowles was blitzing on 56% of dropbacks coming in, which was the highest rate in the NFL. You had Shaq Barrett, an elite pass rusher this season, who had four sacks and forced two fumbles against Daniel Jones. For him to stay in there, regroup, recover, and then lead the team down the field late in the game to what was a go-ahead touchdown drive that ultimately turned out to be the game-winning drive, I think was a translation of what we saw flashes of, John, in the preseason. Remember the Bears preseason Mm -hmm. game and the fumbles, some of the mishaps, but the common thread was he'd always come back, John, the next drive, and he'd put it behind him. Or even the next play sometimes. Correct. So that was, once again, something that you wanted to see duplicated, repeated in the regular season, and I think at least through one game, we saw that again. Now, according to the PFF numbers that were out this morning, and I think this is the preliminary one, so they're not final yet, the Bucks only blitzed on 14 of Jones's 47 dropbacks. Okay, so, so the rate that's wasn't nearly... only about 30%, and he did pretty well against those. He actually did best against cover three according to their numbers, but they did blitz a little bit less, but when they did blitz, he handled it really well, and I thought the offensive line gave him time to throw on a lot of the blitzes. In fact, when the Bucks got home, it was a lot of times it was on four-man rushes. It wasn't even on their blitzes when they got to the quarterback. So I thought the offensive line did a good job. He was able to pick out those mismatches and and make those throws. And again, zone, the thing about it, with rookie quarterbacks sometimes, Lance, and you watch them play, it just looks like sometimes they have no idea where to go with the ball based on what they're seeing on defense, right? Well, they panic. Yeah, that too. And Jones, he is quiet feet, he is poised, and he just seems to know immediately, based on what he reads on defense, where the ball needs to go. And, you know, maybe he'll throw a bad pass and he won't complete it. He missed Russell Shepard on that bomb. He missed Sterling Shepard on an out. Look, he missed a couple throws. It happens. It's fine. I'm not criticizing him for it. But the important thing is that for a guy this young to know so quickly and to make those reasoned decisions so fast, that's what makes a good quarterback in the league. Now, how good is he going to be? There's no way to know. 
you know, we've had guys have great debuts oh, before yeah. and, and, and come back down to earth, you know, even after a year. I mean, everyone thought Baker Mayfield last year was going to go to the Hall of Fame, right? Well, how, how's that going on year number two? So don't put the gold jacket on him yet. But for a start, and this is what we've been saying since the beginning, every test that he's been given, he's been able to pass. And the fact that he did in his first regular season start, it's, it's one more, uh, I'll use the phrase Pat Shermer used, one more box to check. He was extremely comfortable from start to finish. And, and that's one of the things that you, you know, just alluded to in terms of you want to see you put a quarterback in his environment, which is a regular season game. How does he handle himself? Well, the, the moment wasn't too big. It wasn't too overwhelming. So that was obviously an encouraging aspect. And, you know, here's another difference that I think helped Daniel Jones put together the type of performance that he had yesterday and should not be overlooked in the frenzy of being excited over a quarterback. Guys made plays for the quarterback yesterday. That's John. a really good okay. point, Lance. And that was <laughs> something that was not necessarily consistently taking place in the first two weeks. Now, this is not a defense mechanism for Eli Manning here. I'm not bringing that up. I'm just bringing up there is a level of execution that was reached yesterday with the receivers and the tight ends that I don't think we saw at a consistent rate in weeks one and weeks two. Case in point, John, Evan Ingram, very first drive of the game. He goes up, he makes a one-handed grab on a third and six. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know you hear that cliched phrase going above the X's and O's? I was about to use that right? cliched well, phrase, 100%. Congratulations. You're Great welcome. minds think alike. Yes. <laughs> so that was a literal and figurative, figurative definition of going above the X's and O's. I mean, it was a poor throw. Correct. It was high and behind them. But Evan Ingram overcame that, Correct. made the play, moved the chains. Well, and Evan Ingram, too. How about a 75-yard touchdown? That was going to be another one I was going to wasn't yeah. any sort of spectacular throw. It was a basic play action, 12-yard cross behind the linebacker. Yeah. He catches it. The defensive back, the safety, uh, it was either Stewart or... or, or um, or Edwards. Edwards again. I forget yeah. which one. They take a bad angle. A bad angle. Darius Slayton blocks Vernon Hargraves up the sideline, which is another play, big part way. of the play, yeah. and, and he goes and scores a touchdown. So it looks like a 75-yard completion, but really it was just a 12-yard cross. And again, this is not saying that it doesn't count, but the point that Lance is making is that his teammates helped him too. You know, Sterling Shepard, it was a great pass, really good pass, but he also made a nice little diving catch in the end for the touchdown. And these are the plays quarterbacks need to... Be successful. And, and gain rhythm. And, and he made plays above the X's and O's too, by the way. And he did some things in this game that Eli Manning would not have been capable of doing if he was in the game. You know, yeah, that in the second quarter, there was a third and five. He runs outside. Shaq Barrett has the, ang has the angle on him to, to stop him from scrambling for the first down. But he underestimated Jones' speed. He gets outside of him and runs for the first down. Uh, when you're inside the red zone, uh, they ran that really nice... Fake jet sweep action to Russell Shepard into the read option to Barkley inside. Jones, who had, you know, was watching the defense on prior run plays if they were going to see him roll out or not, holds the ball, runs around the edge, uses his speed, gets the touchdown. Then, of course, the game-winning drive. He ends up running in when the Red Sea, oh, the, boy, uh, did it part. the Orange Sea, whatever you want to call well, it, it. parted it like the Red Sea. Parts in the, it parts in the middle of the field. They're in man-to-man. Um, Jordan Whitehead goes to double cover Evan Ingram, even though Levante David has him pretty much blanketed, leaves open the middle of the field wide open. Daniel Jones, boom, takes advantage of it and scores the touchdown. And prior on that drive, there was another throw that no one, it's one of those things that's lost in, in the context of the game. I thought the biggest throw of that drive wasn't that 30 yard one to Shepard, which is wide yeah, open to the left. Yeah. I thought that 20 yard pass to Slayton down the right sideline was such an important part of that drive, Lance, because the Bucks were playing soft coverage. And if you look at, I looked at it in a coach's tape on the way home on the plane last night, and they're in that soft zone, and you know Slayton's running your your basic stop route around twenty yards down the field, right? 
Jones releases that ball on that route almost two steps before Slayton even starts to come out of his route. He throws that ball with such anticipation and so accurately that it might not have worked if he didn't throw it that way. And those are the type of anticipatory passes that you don't normally see from a young quarterback. And that pass to me, along with the Slayton one you mentioned when he had the pocket presence to roll out and buy extra time, yep. were two of the most important plays for me uh, for Jones as a passer in that game. Yeah, Slayton made multiple uh, great plays. Oh, he had boy. three catches, 82 yards. A very impressive debut, which gets overlooked because mm-hmm. of the way Daniel Jones played. But the reason why it's important to talk about Slayton is because, once again, Jones's stats don't look nearly as impressive Half of the big play is the receiver on the other end coming through for his quarterback. Slayton did that. Evan Ingram did that. Sterling Shepard had seven catches for 100 yards. So, you know, those accumulation of above X's and O's plays by the personnel around the quarterback, I think was a big difference as to why the Giants were able to extend drives. John, specifically in the first half, they were 5 of 8 on third down. They weren't as impressive on third down in the second half. They were only 1 for 5, and part of that was because of the sacks that Daniel Jones took, which is part of the learning curve of a young quarterback. But and by the way, the length of those two, there were two 15-yarders in there, and a 7, a couple of 5s. Yeah, and part of that was because of penalties sure. and sacks mm-hmm. taken. But the other thing that they executed so well was in the red zone. They were 3 or 4 in the red zone, and that's also a reflection of Daniel Jones's decision-making on top of players making plays, because the Shepherds touchdown what impressed me the most is first of all Daniel Jones put that football in a position where only Sterling Shepard was going to get it It it's a great throw that's what made the throw dynamite but also Shepard had a step on the defense to position himself where he knew he was going to box out anybody from getting in front of him yeah I ran into Sterling in the hallway today and I mentioned that play to him and I I said Sterling you know you won that at the line of scrimmage he goes yeah I know he was Hargraves like almost hit him in the face actually when he jammed the line of scrimmage but if you watch if you go back and watch the play folks at the line of scrimmage Shepard kind of avoids his jam a little bit he only brushes him and that gets Hargraves kind of off balance and Shepard has that step right off the line of scrimmage. That's where he won the route. It wasn't at the top of the route where he goes outside. It was at the line of scrimmage when he beat him on the jam, and that's what turned that into a touchdown. Well, that's another example of, once again, individuals winning their man-on-man battles, which was something that wasn't necessarily jumping off the film and the tape over the first two weeks of the season. Now, the injury news is another big factor yes. that we probably should get to. Oh, you, Pat mean, Shermer. you mean Russell Shepard, right? Yes, Russell Shepard. I by the way, lead off with that. Yeah, yes. We should mention Russell Shepard uh, has a foot sprain that they're looking into. But yeah. the Pat more Shermer, important news, by the way, just had a conference call in which he did uh, announce that. That's why we were a couple minutes late. We tried to listen to the whole thing, but we didn't want to keep the show going any later. But the big news is the one Lance is about to give you. Yeah, Saquon Barkley, Pat Shermer did confirm it's a high ankle sprain. Uh, unlike the media reports that are out there, Pat Shermer was not willing to provide any significant timetable. So as far as the Giants are concerned, they're not putting him within a specific group of weeks, days, day-to-day. There really is no status right now, John, connected to Saquon Barkley. But in fairness... There have been multiple reports out there. We're not naive. We see them like you. And the timelines are fluctuating between four to eight weeks. And generally, that's what high ankle sprains are. A high ankle sprain is usually a multi-week injury. That's just what it is. If you go based on what Mm -hmm. other players have had to deal with. I mean, go back. Remember Olivier Vernon last year? How many weeks did he miss at the end of the year with a high ankle sprain? It's just the way it is. Yeah. So there's a good chance that they're going to have to live and experience life without their dynamic running back, which means Wayne Goldman now has an unbelievable opportunity. He was on the team before Saquon Barkley even arrived, so I'd be licking my chops if I'm Wayne Goldman. Hey, you know, now you could be the every down back and prove that, you know, you could still be a very productive player. So a great opportunity for him. Now, 
Uh, Paul Perkins was recently waived. The Lions picked him up, but they do have two running backs on the practice squad, John, and I think probably the Giants will consider calling one of them up. John Hilleman was very productive in the preseason. He has familiarity with the scheme. Uh, he may be the first one up. Pat Shermer did mention they're going to also evaluate their options, mm -hmm. usually on off days. Every team brings in guys to work out. I wouldn't be surprised if they check in on the running back free agent market as another potential option in addition to who's on the practice squad. Yeah, that, that'll be a natural thing to do, obviously, see if they can find somebody to help fill the void. But I think Wayne Goldman's a guy that can't handle 20 carries a game. You know, he's a guy, he's a bigger guy, he runs with power. I think he can handle that, and I think he's probably going to have to early in this process until they get whomever that next guy is acclimated, unless they go to a guy like Hilleman, who's been here since the spring, who should be fully integrated into the playbook and be able to figure those things out. And they can also use Elijah Penny if they have to in the yeah, running game as yeah, a halfback good point. If, if they want to do that, which is also an option. All right, I guess we should talk about the defense for a couple minutes before we yeah, go I to think the calls, right? Yeah, it wasn't good. Um, <laughs> uh, the Giants give up nearly 500 yards of offense once again. The Bucks score on all six of their drives in the first quarter. The, the Bucks, first half, yeah. First half, I'm sorry. Well, it seemed the, like the first quarter. It did. So. The Bucks <laughs> managed to, to get a lot of one-on-one -on -one matchups in, in that first half against some Giants blitzes. O.J. Howard had a couple one-on-ones, and obviously Mike Evans, who had almost 150 yards receiving in the first half and three touchdowns, got manned up on Janoris Jenkins, and Jenkins did not have a lot of help on those plays, which I know people want to take this out on, on, on Jack Rabbit, but look, man-on-man -on, -man on Mike Evans is one thing. Man-on-man -on, -man on Mike Evans with no help, that's hard for any cornerback in the league. It just is. It's not an easy thing to do. So uh, he had issues. Uh, DeAndre Baker actually, I thought, played one of his better games of the year. I think he gave up just two passes over the course of the game. Uh, the run game, the run defense in the second half, when they started going to more of that two-safety deep stuff, the run defense softened up, which is expected. You only have you know six or seven guys in the box, depending on what type of sub-packages you're in. So the Bucks ran the ball a bit better, but they did eliminate those chunk plays. I think there were eight plays of 15 yards or nine plays of 15 yards or more over the course of the game, but most of those came in the first half, and those six chunk plays half, yeah. really got eliminated in half number one. Yeah, I had the tally at six for 20 or more yards. Mm -hmm of that kind in the first half. So, yes, they shored things up in the second half. What you were talking about when the Bucks pounded the football, I believe they ran seven straight times on the ground, six by Ronald Jones to start that drive. The seventh, they gave it to Peyton Barber. And, you know, part of the rationale was the Giants couldn't afford to allow Tampa Bay to get in the end zone because if the Bucs score a touchdown, the game's over right game's there. Game's over. And by the way, give credit to Ryan Connolly, who made a really nice play near the goal line on that third and two from the five to prevent that first down. Well, I don't know if this is the same play. Michael Thomas made a hell of a play too. That was on. That um, was that was, was that on that same play. That, that was on about? the next drive the when next the Giants okay. were trying to get the ball back, and it was a third and one. Cameron Brake came out of the backfield, yes, he had a man to play. man, Correct. and he tackled him in Michael space. Thomas, and Connolly made a the second nice play on the play prior to that too, where he forced Ronald Jones into a cutback right into Dexter Lawrence and B.J. Hill on the second and two on the play prior to that, which also prevented the first down. So the defense did make a couple big stops when yeah, they had to wait. in late. big moments, which was huge. Mm -hmm. Connolly also had the first takeaway of the season for the Giants. He had the interception when Jameis Winston had, I believe it was Mike Evans, wide open and just... Yes for some reason, overthrew him, which could have just been an easy dump-off pass. But hey, High end behind them. Yeah, yep. the, mm -hmm. the Giants will take the takeaways when they can get it. The problem is, two plays later, Shaq Barrett feasts again, gets a fourth sack and a forced fumble. He's so having the a Giants nice year, huh? capitalize on that. Yeah. What is it, eight sacks now? Eight sacks. Yeah, that's not bad. sack total in one game alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had three. He has seven sacks in the last two weeks. Yeah, because he had three against the Panthers. Yeah. He had one the first week, and then he comes back with four this week. So it's safe to say he may be named Defensive Player of the Week for the second straight week. Did Is they sign right? him to a long-term contract? I have to look that up. If I'm that guy's exactly on a sure. one-year deal, 
His agent right now is just listening to the cash register going off at his ears. Well, I think his agent's hoping it's a one-year deal. Yeah, I think he is, too. And seeing if there's language in the contract <laughs> to get out of it, if that's the case. <laughs> but look, folks, the bottom line is that the defense has to get better. You can't give up that many chunk plays in yeah. a game, that many big plays. Then at the end of the game, once again, Janoris Jenkins is isolated on Mike Evans, and he gets beat deep. Uh, there was no safety over the top on that side of the field. They were both in the middle of the field. And, you know, they just happened to make the the really big play deep. So, I mean, you just can't have those types of big plays. And the Giants were fortunate to overcome it in this game. Uh, they were fortunate that the Bucks missed a game-winning 34-yard field goal, which is basically an extra point, and it just didn't go in uh, for the Bucks, They missed an extra point earlier in the game. They had an extra point blocked earlier in the game. Those things add up. The Giants made a two-point conversion. Those things all add up, folks. They really do. And it makes all the difference in these games sometimes. So the Giants' defense has to get better. They did have some more sacks, thanks to Jamie Winston holding the ball a little bit. Uh, they got some pressure on some stunts. Marcus Golden had a pair of sacks. I thought Dexter Lawrence, again, was was pretty disruptive getting after the quarterback. So all in all, Lance, uh, defense still needs a lot, a lot of work, even though the second half performance was much, much better than the first half performance. Well, it's become a trend, John, because in the Bills game, they played much better in the second half, too, and, and kept Buffalo in check after a rough first half, and the same thing pretty much happens all over again. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are watching, and they're saying to themselves, well, what is it? They need two quarters to just get a feel for the opposition or get a feel for themselves. If that trend continues, it's never a good recipe to have to play catch-up every single week. So the big plays have to be eliminated. Now, 11 touchdown drives of at least 70 yards in the first three games combined. So, you know, the law of average says, yeah, things should improve, but the law of average right now is also showing that they're giving up about three and a half per game, which is not necessarily something that you can sustain victory after victory with. So that's only going to put more pressure on Daniel Jones and the offense moving forward, which yeah. is why the defense has to meet the offense halfway. And uh, you brought up the fact that they were fortunate. The ball did bounce their way despite the defensive breakdowns with the missed field goal. And this is after the Giants have had all the unlucky breaks not go their way over the last few years. Graham Gano, Jake Elliott, Nick Folk actually, believe it or not, in 2017, he hit a 34-yard game-winning field goal in the same exact stadium. So it's kind of ironic that two years later, new kicker, same distance, misses. And not that Giants fans care about this, but I still don't understand why Bruce Arians took a delay of game penalty. <laughs> I don't think I don't anybody think does. I will ever understand, even listening to his postgame presser when no. he said that he wanted to make it easier for his kicker from a longer distance. I would take the chip shot for a rookie kicker, a veteran kicker, and anybody in between any day of the weekend twice on Sunday. Can you bring up the calls for me, Lance? For some reason, I still can't access sure, the call document. Sure, I would document. be more than happy to bring up that document. I think you already have it. And do there me a favor, go. if you can send... You're right, can, I do have the document up. I don't know why I opened it twice. Can you send the invite to me again? Maybe I can actually access it during this show. So I'll have to read off your screen. Ty in Maryland Absolutely. will lead us off. Ty, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, guys? Ty, welcome to the show. What's, what's up? Happening, Ty? All right, I'm at work right now, so I can't really talk too loud. Go ahead. But uh, I just wanted to say... Um, congratulations to Daniel Jones and the Giants for getting his first win on his first start, first 300-plus multiple touchdown game, as well as his first fourth-quarter comeback. So all in one game. So congratulations to Daniel Jones on him. I'm sure he surprised a lot of people, me included. Um, still a little salty about Eli, but, you know, with wins, I think I'll get over it. So let's let's not waste any time let's i, I want to ask you some questions and then i'll take the i'll take the answers sure. off the line because sure. again i'm at work yeah fire away so number number one um 
what's wrong with Nate Solder? Like, what is his, what is his problem? Like, it, is, like I don't know. Is, is, is this feeding concrete? Can he not sustain a block? Like, two times, two sacks in a row, I saw. Two sacks in a row. One went for a fumble, four total, you know. And it just seems like he gets lost in the sauce once he puts one hand on the guy, and then he, he just loses him after that. I don't get it. So I'd like to, I mean, I, it's been a it's been a trend for me watching him lately lose a lot of his lose a lot of his blocking schemes, and then eventually the person who he's supposed to block gets the sack. It's been a trend, even going back to last year. It's been a trend. So I'd keep an eye on that if I were another Giants fan or if I were you guys. I'd keep an eye on that. Uh, secondly, let's talk about the defense. You know, um, our secondary is young. Yes. But uh, you know Antoine Bate, he's he's up there in age. I just want to know what exactly our plan is going ahead on defense because this can't continue. We're not going to continue to win games because not everybody is going to be as I guess the uh, middle of the middle of the pack as far as Tampa Bay is concerned. So I want to know what our plan of attack is going to be on defense going forward because we cannot keep the same personnel going forward we just can't because we're not going to win games like that and then thirdly i really like cj anderson as far as going forward in the running game uh of course gallman needs to start because he's been there and i'm pretty sure like you guys said he can carry the load 20 times a game but um as far as balance is concerned i really like cj anderson He, he 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 carries the points you know he holds on to the rock he doesn't fumble and he moves it. He moves the rock. He moves the chain. So I really like him going forward. Either him, and I'll even throw. I'll even throw another guy in there, Legarrette Blunt. I know he's old, you know, 32 years old, 33 years old. But I'm pretty sure he can carry the points too. So let's take a look at who who's out there in free agency as far as the running backs are concerned. And then you know, DBs are concerned too. Let's look at them. You know, Eric Berry's still a free agent. You know, uh, Brandon Marshall, the linebacker Brandon Marshall, he's still a free agent. So let's look at those guys, and I'll take your answers off the line. Thank you guys a whole lot. All right, appreciate the phone call. A few things in terms of the free agents that he threw out. Number one, Brandon Marshall was let go by the Raiders because his knee was not 100%, so there's still health concerns there. Uh, As far as C.J. Anderson is concerned, the Lions actually let him go when they picked up Paul Perkins. I think Hilleman, who is already familiar with this system, can be that power back that the caller was touching on. So... I don't know, once again, if the first idea is to bring in a veteran who would need a week or two to get familiar with the scheme. I think C.J. Anderson's a fine recommendation, and once again, you should always look at every option, but if you're looking for that complimentary back to Wayne Goleman, I think Hilleman is somebody that can fill that type of a role to perfectly complement somebody such as Wayne Goleman. So I wouldn't be too overly concerned about maybe them not having options to turn to currently on the practice squad or on the roster as far as defensive personnel and Eric Berry by the way former chief safety is another guy who has an injury history that you need to check into you don't just bring in guys just because they happen to be names or familiar to an entire NFL fan base you're not going to revamp an entire defensive roster overnight okay let's not be naive there's also a lot of young guys on this roster and what is the purpose of replacing the young guys on the roster if the goal is similar to Daniel Jones to get him out there gain regular season reps so that they can improve and get better and better every single game. So DeAndre Baker, whether there's struggles or not, he's got to stay in the game. Julian Love was a healthy scratch yesterday. 
So, you know, Love perhaps could see more time. Corey Ballantyne, who hasn't gotten an awful lot of snaps on defense. Those are the guys, if you're a fan, you should be pushing to see on the field much more so than, to me, John, bringing in a veteran that is unfamiliar with the system and hasn't been with the team. Yeah, yeah, I'm just not sure if there's a personnel solution out there right now, to be honest with you. I think once they got into the right stuff in the second half of that game, I think the defense looked better. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Lee in Atlanta. He's up next. Hey, Lee. What's going on, John and Lance? Hey, Lee. What's Lee? I'm doing all right. Uh, you guys opened up the show great. Stole a lot of points I wanted to make. So all right, well, it was good talking to you, Lee. Thanks so much. <laughs> Daniel Jones was as expected. We've seen good in the preseason. I trusted Pat and Dave from the very beginning when they made the pick. I was shocked, like everybody, but after, you know, settling down, I was like, these guys know what they're doing. He's got to be good. The world doubted, but he's shown preseason. It's only one game. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. But the kid looks good. He's, he's not my major concern at this point. It is still the defense. It always was the defense. Um, I think the defense played better yesterday. I'm encouraged by what I saw from Connolly. I think Baker played better. There was one play. It was a key third down. I can't remember when exactly it was. I was watching him the whole game. I remember James Betcher said in the interview he has to do what he does best, get his confidence back, and and push up to the line and engage and bump the receiver. And I saw him do that on one play, and we did get the stop. I only watched the game one time so far. But I was encouraged by the defense. I really was. The pass rush, uh, Dexter Lawrence got his first sack yesterday. Uh, Marcus Golden showed up, got two sacks yesterday. But Janoris Jenkins was terrible. And especially after what he said following the Bills game, throwing the pass rush under the bus saying you can't cover for more than that. He was terrible yesterday. He was terrible. There's no excuse for it. I know they left him out there, but he's a veteran. We've watched him play against good receivers before and be left out there and do way better than what he did yesterday. Mike Evans had whatever he wanted. I think that if Eli has to take a back seat because this team is better suited to look kind of towards the future, get a young kid some reps, this team matches more what Daniel Jones is now than what Eli is now. I think that you could sprinkle in Ballantyne and Love and Lee, Lee, real quick. a little bit Lee, and let those guys get some reps. Lee, I mean, real quick. They get beat. they The coaches know I'm not Lee. in the building. I don't know. Lee, real fast. But, Lee, real fast. I'm just telling yeah. you, if you put Corey Ballantyne or Julian Love on Mike Evans on an aisle in the way you did Janoris Jenkins, no, no, no. It, I mean, it's this just, Lance, yes, it's, it they, good. they'll get killed. They'll get they'll, destroyed. Exactly. Not island. Thank you. Maybe you give them some help in that situation. But well, why not give Jenkins? So what, 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 no, but, but why not give Jenkins help then is my point. Yeah. Because Jenkins is your veteran. Jenkins is the guy you paid to come in here. Jenkins is, is locked up. Guys like Des Bryant in the past one-on-one in bigger games than that yesterday. But yesterday he was non-existent. Right. Yeah, it was like he wasn't even trying. Maybe he was. I'm not on the field. But it looked like he wasn't trying. The man had 10 catches, not 10 catches, exaggeration, over 150 yards and three touchdowns. It was like I was out there. So I'm just saying, let's see what Corey can do. 
let's see what Love can do in the same in the same sense that we're giving Daniel Jones a shot. We're a young team. We shouldn't have won yesterday, but we did. We we got one back, especially the field goals. We know Lance said this, so exactly what I wanted to say. We've been killed so many times with these field goals. We got one back. But I want to see some of the young guys going forward get their feet wet. And my one question, you guys probably won't know anything about this, but what's going on with Sam Bill? Is he really hurt? Is he coming back off of IR, or was that just a, a roster clearing move that they made? Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thank Lee. You. Well, Sam Bill is ineligible to even practice until week six, so and he can't come off IR until yeah. week eight. So that's And, yeah, he's really hurt. They wouldn't have put him on IR if he wasn't hurt. So, yes. As far as, once again, the young guys, which I was talking about with respect to the response for the last caller, they're evaluating these guys in practice every single day, John. And I remember, you know, in years past, we get calls, why isn't this guy playing, right? Mm -hmm. Why isn't that guy playing? And usually the rationale behind why they're not being thrown in the early part of the season, and maybe it takes a little bit time for them to get integrated, is because sometimes they are not seeing enough in practice to say, hey, this player is ready to go out there on an island and be one of the corners in there to lock up a star wide receiver. So we're not seeing practice as consistently as we were in training camp because the media is restricted. So they're seeing things. They're evaluating these players all the time. When you don't see a player in, I think more often than not, that means that there's not enough being showcased in practice to give the coaching staff confidence to put them out there. You can only dress 46. The coaching staff is not in the business to not dress the best 46. When they make those decisions, part of it is because of injuries, okay? So sometimes you're forced to keep a guy dressed because you're short at one position. But if you feel a guy can contribute, especially on the defensive side of the ball where there's been so many big plays given up, you know, they're not going to scratch a guy simply for the sake of scratching a guy. It has to do something with the evaluation process. So that's not to say that there's no hope for these young guys to get on the field, but I think they're moving them along slowly because they still need to see things picked up in practice before they're confident in giving them regular season reps. And Julian Love's not an outside cornerback. He's a slot guy or a safety. Grant Haley hasn't been a problem, has he? So you're not going to put Julian Love outside where he didn't play much in the preseason or offseason. So you're talking about Corey Ballantyne. And guys, look, look, you know, George Sanders had a rough day. No one's going to argue that. He wouldn't argue that. I'm sorry. He's still as the best good as he's been. Team, Corey Ballantyne's not a better cornerback than Janoris Jenkins. He's just not. He's just not. Now you could argue, and I think you were going to get to this point. If you see Jenkins struggling, do you then look to switch it up, John, and give him some safety help or, or whatever? Just, yeah, adjust your approach. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean that's fair. Sure. That, that's a fair takeaway from the game. Hundred percent. Disagree with anybody for saying, well, you know, why not do that? But it's a whole other thing to say, take Jenkins out of the game and now put Corey Ballantyne on Mike Evans. That, I don't think, necessarily is the most practical approach. 201-939-4513. Scott in New Mexico is up next. Hey, Scott. Hey, guys. How you doing today? What's up? Good, Scott. First of all, uh, one of the more exciting games I've watched. I've watched Giant Games uh, for 55 years, and uh, that was uh, on the edge of my seat type of uh, kind of performance. But the interesting thing, and I shouldn't be, it shouldn't be overlooked. First of all, Daniel Jones won that game on the road, which is difficult to do. No, Scott, I got to be honest with you. I was in that building. It didn't feel like a road yeah. game. That place was fifty <laughs> percent. I'm telling you, that that, that place was fifty percent Giant fans, man. And it was so bad when he misses the potential game-winning kick. We had no idea if it was good or not because the place was so loud. You couldn't tell if it was the Buck fans happy or the Giant fans that were happy. It was wild. <laughs> right. 
Well, in any case, he did win it on the road, and then secondarily, coming back from 18-point deficits, I don't think it had been done in the NFL since 1997 when Kitna did it. And the last time the Giants did it, by the way, was in 1970 when they did it against the Washington Redskins. Right. So those things shouldn't be overlooked. But the interesting thing, there were two plays in the game. One is an obvious play, I thought, that contributed to the Giants' win, and one was not so obvious. Wanted to get your opinion on that, and then I have one more point. But the play, uh, the Touchdown to Evan Ingram to open up the second half, put the Giants back in contention. But then a play that wasn't so obvious uh, that the Giants uh, succeeded on was a two-point conversion. I think it made the score 28-25. Yeah. And that allowed them to actually get the victory at the end. Well, I mean, in 28-18, you're referring to, because they went for two after the Evan Ingram touchdown. Right. Yeah. And so I thought that was actually one of the plays that actually made a difference. But my main focus, uh, my main question, I'll take it off the air, is the defense had some moments. Uh, They looked good in certain aspects. Obviously, giving up 500 yards in offense is not good. But I'm just wondering if Daniel Jones can repeat himself, and I know it's, as as you, Lance, like to say, it's a small sample size. If he can do some of the things that he did yesterday in the games that are coming up, can that help the defense in inspiring them to play better because they know now that the offense can score? And I was just curious what your opinion was on that and how much emotion comes into play with, you know, the defensive characteristics that the Giants are are showing right now. And I'll I'll be glad to take your answers off the air, guys. Thank you, Scott. If we use that logic, then... If there is anybody that is a professional football player, John, and needs to see offensive production to be motivated to do their job, then I would say that they don't belong in the National Football League. Correct. That would be my response. So, And I get Scott. He, he wants to read into things, and it's fun to talk about these things and unravel them in a sports talk format. But that, I think, is completely overthinking things. I, I don't see... Daniel Jones telling a guy like Dexter Lawrence, I need to play harder, or a guy like O'Shane Zimenez or Lorenzo Carter. Those guys need to know to play hard or else they're not going to last long in the National Football League. So, I mean, my simple answer, John, is I don't think the change at quarterback is forcing the defense in particular to play hard. I think certainly when the offense goes out and makes big plays, it gives the defense more ammunition to say, hey, let's get the offense back to football so that they can continue to do their thing. And there might be an energy and excitement from watching the offense score, sure. But no, I don't think there's a there's an effort level change by any means. Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Coach Marvin's in Delaware. What's up, Coach? John and Lance, how you doing? What's up, buddy? All right, Coach. I'm doing all right. I was just going to call the, this evaluation I had on uh, DJ. Go ahead. And, um, uh, but uh, the last caller asked something about the emotions of the game. And I understand, and you, you both are right, that uh, Daniel Jones didn't walk over to the defense and ask him to pick up and do something more. But it does bring an energy level to the game to where it motivates you. Because when they came out in the second half, that pass that he threw to um, Evans, and they took that all. Of, they took that in, and then they got the two-point conversion. I, I really believe that motivated the team. And as, as you notice, the defense—they only gave up three points in the second half. They played totally different. Jenkins had a bad game, yeah. But how many catches he gave up in the second half? I think Evans only had one catch. Yeah, Evans just half. had one catch. In yeah, the but again, half. that that's because they weren't leaving him out on an island as much in the second half like they were in the first half. They changed the way they approached it. 
Okay, I, I, I give you that. But the defense played a lot better in the second half because I believe they were motivated. One of the biggest plays in the game goes back to what Lance says was the Michael Thomas um, tackle. No, but still, hold on, hold on. The, 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 the Coach Marvin, so why wasn't the defense motivated in the first half when, when Daniel Jones oh. ran it in for his first touchdown? Why, why didn't that spur him on to play good defense? It's not about being motivated. It's, it's you just it's said that. that. The energy, it gives you the extra energy. Now, you go into the game, and yes, you are energized in the game. But, as Mike Tyson said, when somebody punches you in the face, then your plan kind of go down the craps. They, they got punched in the face. They were, they were in that game 12-10. And if you notice the mistakes, they gave, next thing you know, you blink your eye, you're down 28-10. to 10. John, do you, you, you knew how you felt. When they went down twenty-eight to ten, you're down going into that locker room. Your motivation is terrible. No, 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 you're no, 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 Coach, no, Coach Marvin. Why weren't they motivated when they were only down twelve ten? That's not what I'm saying, John. No, 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 Coach Marvin. No, no, you literally just said you're not motivated when you're down twenty-eight ten. Well, how'd they get to twenty-eight ten? Because By- I, I said, John, they were motivated going into the game. You're always motivated going into the game. Even if you're a big-time underdog, you're ready to play. And then they were down 12-10. They got hit in the face. How is being down two points being hit in the face? (laughs) You're down two. John, with this particular team, 28-10 has been horrible for them. No, but Marvin, I'm not talking talking about 20. I'm talking about 12-10. It went from 12-10 to 28-10. Why weren't they motivated at 12-10? John, John, I'm not arguing with you. I didn't say they wasn't motivated when they were down 12-10. I said when they got hit in the face and the turnover started happening, Tampa Bay went up 28-10 to in a blink of an eye. It happened. That's a fact. Go back and look at it. You can look at the plays, how they ran off those points, and made it twenty-eight to ten with three seconds or whatever it was left into that first half. Yes, you're down. Motivationally wise, you are down because of the twenty-eight to ten. You were in the game. Now you feel like you're out of the game. You just lost two games in a row, and, and you were playing pretty bad defensively. And then you come out in the second half. Okay, you come out in the second half. Let's see what we can do in the second half. Let's we get the ball first. Let's see if we can generate something where we can get points. Right off the bat, the first play, they hit a 75-yard pass. Not only, and I understand when you say another player makes the play for the quarterback, and that is true. He put that ball on the numbers, and and Evan Ingram never slowed down. He hit that sideline. He was in stride. That pass was not behind him. It wasn't up high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Darius Slayton had a great was, block up the field. There was a lot of things that went right. There was a lot of things that went right on that play. What's your overall point, Marvin? What's that? What's your overall point? Oh, my overall point, what I was just going to, is that sometimes in a game, another person can elevate their game, and he did elevate their game. The throws he made, the receivers was making plays. He was throwing them open. The, the pass he threw to Shepard in the end zone, look at the distance between Shepard and that line that he threw it in. It was a, like a three-step drop. As soon as his back foot hit the line, hit his third step, ball was in the air. Yes, Shepard made a great play. But he made it a play where this quarterback made it possible for him not 
to drop it. I was just watching NFL Network just a second ago, and they made a great statement. This dude was playing with some guys he didn't play with in the preseason, and he was hitting them on the numbers. Sure, yeah. So no, no, one, no one's arguing Daniel did Jones didn't play well. Huh? Yeah, yeah, no one's saying Daniel Jones didn't play a great game. He absolutely did. Right, but uh, no, you didn't say that. I know that. But what I'm saying is he did bring some energy to that team. Sure. And you do, and it's not, maybe we don't know what the term is. Is it makes them more motivated? We don't know what the term is. It's like saying, what is it? I don't know what it is, but when you see it, you know what is that it's different. And it's the same thing when you don't know how energy a person is. Yeah, they're football players, and they've done this for their lives, and they should be motivated. I'm going to tell you now, guys are not always motivated to play. Sometimes it takes a speech in that locker room to get them going. Sometimes it takes another player to step up and say something to get them going. Sometimes they come on and they're all ready to play. He did bring them to another level. Can he carry it over? I don't know. It's week to week. Maybe he can't. He definitely made that defense play better yesterday because they felt if we stop. Well, listen, Coach Marvin, you're entitled to your opinion. I don't disagree with it, but to say definitively and appreciate the call, to say definitively that Daniel Jones got that defense to play better, you're now turning that into a factual statement. He gave a 500 yards offense. Which you can't prove. Okay, so So that's where I'm going to disagree. So Daniel Jones wasn't in there. How many yards of offense would they have given up? 700? (laughs) Well, well, and also, I mean, there were. There were instances where Eli Manning and the Giants' offense made it a 21-14 game against Buffalo, John. Does that not motivate the defense to go out and make a stop? And then the defense gave up a 13-play, 75-yard drive to make it 28-14. This was in the second half of a game a week ago. Dude, how many games last year did Manning give them a lead in the fourth quarter for the defense only to give it back again? Yeah, I I just don't buy the fact that the quarterback alone got the defense... To play better. Look, I agree. Does a guy like Jones give a team a spark? Absolutely. Yeah, but he gave but a, a where spark. Where the hell was the spark in the first half then when they gave up 28 Whoa. points and let the Bucks score in all six possessions? Which is an extremely valid point, but he also gave the offense a spark, which is most important of because course. that's the side of the ball he plays on, and the guys made plays for him, and the level of execution was very consistent. That I wouldn't disagree with anybody, but to say that Daniel Jones arrives under center, and then all of a sudden Grant Haley says to himself, boy, Eli's not under center anymore. I better really get that much more motivated yeah, to go out and make him stop. I just, once again, I don't agree with that logic. He's entitled to his opinion, but don't make a declarative statement that that was the case, which was the last statement that he made that said it definitely got the defense to play better. That I wouldn't agree with because there's no evidence to necessarily support that. Well, yeah, and again, if, if it started from the beginning of the game, it was a consistent thing throughout the game, maybe I feel like you have a stronger argument in that regard. But the fact that the first half wasn't, Epic disaster defensively. Six I mean, it was six an epic disaster. They gave up three hundred, almost three hundred yards of offense in the first half. I mean, not good. <laughs> Just not good. James Winston, who is turnover prone, I mean, yeah. looked like he was the most comfortable quarterback in the NFL. Big Blue Kickoff Live is brought to you by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience. Courtesy of Coors Light, text VIP to 90464 for more details. Let's go back to the phones, Lance, and say hello to Dave and Cranford. What's up, Dave? John and Lance, man, I'll tell you, it is a, it's a pleasure. You guys are great individually. You're, you're that much better together. It's, it really is nice. To no, we appreciate that. I, Dave, Dave, I, I, I Dave that the key, the key one, we really don't like each thing, other, so you, it, you, it makes it work. Laugh at me. Go ahead. But, but just one quick thing. 
people that aren't listening to the podcast are, are missing out. They, the Phil Sims podcast, the one with Belichick around the, the Super Bowl, I mean, they're, they're unbelievable. Thank Everyone you. should be listening to those. I, I appreciate just, it. just want to throw that out there. And by the way, that's the Giants Huddle podcast, by the way. You can go yeah. find it on your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you, Dave. Giants Huddle. I, <laughs> yes. I, and it really is. They're really amazing. Um, I, I just want to step back for, for a second. You, you guys, I mean, it's, it's tremendous. I, I just think that, look, you, you don't you don't give away a season. I, I think the concerns about the defense, so we could talk all day, I think they're legitimate. Um, I, I think they, you know, they, they're going to need – you know, there's no there's no personnel. You guys are smart enough. There's no personnel changes here. This is about trying to get the best out of the personnel we have, um, and and I think you know that, that's that's the reality there. I just think that we just got to step back and say, hey, I'm I'm a crazy Giant fan, and and I wished the best for Daniel Jones, and and he went out and performed at a whole other level. And I, I'm not saying that you know he's not going to. Would be be naive to think that he's not going to run into tough times, all all those things. I I totally agree. But the single biggest question, once they made the pick, I wasn't a huge fan of the pick, so I I don't think a lot of people were. I was surprised Mm -hmm. by the pick. I was somewhat disappointed by the pick, but I was wrong. But once they made that pick, the single biggest issue was, did we, you know, with with a number six pick in the draft, do we have ourselves a quarterback that we can build around for the future? That, that's the whole question going into this season. Hundred percent. It doesn't mean we give away this season. Like we're not. We're not. I'm not saying that. Therefore, who cares about the results of? No, no, no. The coaches aren't going to give away the season. We shouldn't give away the season. We should fight as much as we can. But but to watch him go out there yesterday with his command, with his presence, and and have the the the. The challenges that he had that he overcame all the way through the game down to a three-minute drive to, to win the game, I, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better test and a, and a, and a better result. And, and that's the biggest issue going into to, to the rest of the season. So I th- And I think the energy you're hearing from fans is because people recognize that. You know, they see that, hey, this kid, he's, he's a big reason that a lot of Giant fans are going to turn on the game next week to watch the game. Hey, Dave, look, and, and Dave. More, and, you know, so. Dave, there's a reason for the first 20 minutes of the show we just talked about Daniel Jones and didn't even mention how the game ended and who won and who lost. We yeah. literally just took 20 minutes on the quarterback because you're right. Look, this whole offseason we talked about it, right? The most important thing Dave Gettleman was going to do was find the team's next franchise quarterback. Are we positive that he's the guy yet? I don't think after one game you can be positive anything in this world. But do you feel much better about it today than you did on Friday? Absolutely. There's no way. There's no way, John, to not think that. And it's not because of just the results. I mean, it was great that they that they won on top of him having such a, you know an influential game. It's the building blocks. It's looking at the tape, watching the game again, and seeing him throw under pressure. Seeing him being accurate, he he's legitimately fast. The, the first time he ran for a first down, you know, I looked at the people I was watching the game with, and we all gasped because it was like, wow, he turned it on around that corner and ran for a first down. And that's something we've never seen. And I'm not comparing him to Eli. It's not fair because if Daniel Jones could win us two Super Bowls, I'd sign up right now. It's not a comparison to that. It's just the fact that – he has that as part of his game. 100%. I don't think you're going to see people play man defense against us in the red zone after what he did 
you know, against Tampa Bay. And, well, you and can, Dave, things, Dave, you can, to, Dave, you can play man. That is great. You can play man, but you almost have to dedicate one of your linebackers to not allow Jones to do what he did, which does limit what a defense can do. You're hundred percent right. It opens up a whole different, uh, a whole different challenges for defenses in, in terms of when you can play man on third down too. not even just in the red zone. If it's a third and five, it's a lot harder to play man if the quarterback can then go and run for those five yards. So it definitely puts a little bit more pressure on that defense. And like we said at the start of the show, Jones did some things in this game that Eli Manning could not have done simply based on his physical limitations. It's just the way it is. Yep, and I'll just leave you guys with this. I think the fact of the matter is, you know, whatever, you know, the media, everyone else, I mean, it's, you know, Gettleman and Shermer, Mara, the organization, you guys are fully aware of it. You guys have a balanced beam of, of, of being honest and, and good analysts, which you are, but also understanding the behind the scenes. And the reality is he's showing that this was a worthwhile, you know, a worthwhile pick to build upon. It doesn't mean that, that things aren't going to, you know, he's not going to have his challenges. I mean, I think it's fascinating that the next couple of weeks he's going to have to perform without Barkley. Yeah, it's, a, another, it's I mean, another I, I really form do. of adversity. So I'll, I'll let you guys yeah. go with that. I, I really no. appreciate you listening well, to me. I appreciate the no, call, Thank Dave. you, Dave. Dave I mean, Dave's one of our favorite calls. Always makes great points. It's another form of adversity, which is what I was going to say. So, you know, you take away a key personnel, and then you see how the quarterback reacts when he doesn't have the luxury of one of the best running backs in the no. NFL. So. Ideally, it's not in the second NFL start. But <laughs> no, you don't want to immediately throw him into it. But I, I think it's a part of the evaluation process. No, sure it is. Absolutely. And, you know, 100%. not to go off on a tangent and rehash all the conversations we had through the draft. Yeah, please but don't be. No, I'm, I'm not. But but one of the things It is that, 227. I understand that. But just one of the things that I do want to <laughs> piggyback off of. Well, we've gone later anyway, multiple times. So I'm not too worried. And yeah. you can afford to spare an extra five minutes to listen to me. I have to write cover three, Lance. Oh, I already took care I of that. Have, well, so I somebody was, is a little bit behind well, I, and has to make sure they prioritize matters. Uh, a little bit different during the course of the day. I was busy writing my three-and-a-half-page game report and doing well, film room with Michael Thomas. Listen, some people can balance, some can't. That's how you evaluate and separate no, Some people the have a lot of stuff to do, other people just have two no, things no, no, to no. worry about. Oh, don't get is. me started on what's on my plate. But anyway, getting back <laughs> to ahead. the point. The Giants made this pick because what they saw on film and the homework they did made them content that they were making the right selection. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a big part of the conversation. This is not about whether Joe Schmo across the street thought he was a good quarterback, your mailman, your three-down-the-door neighbor. It doesn't matter. Or Mel Kuyper, for that matter. Correct. Exactly. And I threw in the mailman just for you to pick up on that, so I'm glad you did. It was about the Giants doing their homework and feeling good. And when you feel good about a player, as long as in the room we talk about there's conviction, which is the key operating term, you make the pick. And that's exactly what they did. It's a small sample size, but certainly the early results are extremely encouraging. 201-939-4513. Let's start ripping through our remaining callers. Pete and Stone Island is up next. Hey, Pete. How you doing, guys? Seth What's, What's up, Pete? bud? Um, okay, a couple of things. Um... First off, uh, I went into this whole thing probably with a different mindset, you know, than most guys. And the reason I'm saying that is what I wanted to see out of Jones were just signs that he could possibly be our future franchise quarterback. Yeah, just I think that's fair. Okay? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. You know, and I'm not going to anoint him. Um, and you don't you have know, to. Or one game. I don't think you can. You shouldn't. Okay? That's very fair. All right, and now I, I 
picked up on a couple of things uh, positively and a couple of things negatively. Sure. All right. The positive things that I saw were his poise. He showed poise in the pocket. That's number one. Number two, it seemed to me that he took pretty good control of the huddle uh, and the team. Number three, um, I think he he scrambled, but always uh, was his number one priority was looking upfield first as opposed to running. Um, so I took those three things, and, and believe me, there's a lot more. And on the other side, and the downside, and it's really not a downside because I think he's going to certainly learn by it, is um, his pocket presence, uh, being aware of the rush. Um, and I think that being aware of the rush and his pocket presence was a little bit limited there, okay? He's got to be able to pick that up, and I think he will in time. Well, it's funny. There were, the, Pete, there were a couple plays where he was really good seeing the rush and moving up in the pocket and creating time, and there were other plays where he held the ball too long and the rush got there. So I think you saw some positive and negative in that respect over the course of the game. Oh, without question. And, and the other thing on the positive end is accuracy uh, was very good, okay? But okay. getting back to the other side, I think that when he learns that pocket presence and the the rush coming at him, where maybe he can see, you know, peripheral vision or whatever and feel it, I think that's going to increase his scrambling ability and decrease the sacks in that case. So I think there's a kind of a positive uh, aspect you could take out of that. And I think over time, certainly over time, uh, he is going to hopefully progress. And I'm not ready to anoint them yet, and I don't think any fans can off of one game. You, you, you just can't do it. Because I expect, you know, he's a rookie, and you know what, he's going to, he's gonna, you know, take his lumps, and he's going to do it because there's only been a few rookies. You can name on your fingers, Marino, Mahomes even, you know, from the current crop. But you can name Hall of Famers who took a beat in their first year. Aikman, even got benched. Uh, you know, Elway was terrible. And I think so, you know, there's going to be some downside here, you know, and hopefully not a lot of it. But, uh, you know, off of the first game so far, I like what I see with a couple Great. of, you know, downside things that can be Great. fixed. Thank and you, thanks Pete. Thanks right, Pete. Hey, thanks for calling in, Pete. Good points. Let's go to the next caller, Derek in Dallas. He's up next. Hey, Derek. Hey, how's it going, guys? What's up, bud? Hey, uh, I'm going to comment on Daniel Jones. I am so glad that I was so wrong about them grabbing him number six overall. Uh, I, I was a big doubter to begin with, uh, but after what he showed yesterday, it, it's just fantastic. He's a healthy dose of exactly what the Giants need. Yeah, and Derek, Derek, here's the thing, and, and I made this point over the summer. I think everyone was surprised he was picked at six, and that's fine. But I think everyone, when they have their opinions around draft time and we have all our opinions we have our takes I think it's important for everybody to be a little bit humble when they have their takes and their opinions because as much work as I can do or Lance can do or Paul can do or you guys can do or even Mel Kuyper can do you're never going to have as much information as the teams do and they're always going to know a little bit more so you can express your opinion that you don't like the pick and you think they made a mistake but I always like to think look you got to let the thing play out on the field 
before you can definitively say something was good or something was bad, which is why those draft day those draft day grades on these you know picks are just so silly because you have to actually let to see the thing play out first. Well, it's the instantaneous gratification yeah. of society. That's what it's a product of. But go ahead, Derek. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I'm not going to doubt Gettleman again. Um, and uh, I mean, what Daniel Jones has is. Uh, uh, he, he creates opportunity, you know, where we didn't have opportunity before with Eli. And, you know, football's about uh, having opportunities and capitalizing on them. And Daniel Jones gives more opportunities on the field by with his legs, being able to extend plays, give receivers uh, more time to get open. And uh, been very accurate. I think that is uh, uh, how he played is even better than how his numbers show. Um, uh and I mean that's part of what makes Saquon Barkley so great. He's an opportunity creator. He doesn't just take what's there. He's able to open things up that other running backs might not be able to get to. Uh, so I think having him and Saquon uh, in the backfield, it's going to be uh, fantastic. Whenever that does happen, I guess in the here in the next four to six weeks. Um, I hope uh, Wayne Gallman's able to. Uh, show up I and mean, he's played well thus far uh for the most part um uh but uh how do you think redskins are going to handle defensively uh the giants without having saquon barkley in the backfield and i'll take your answer off the air no Thank i you. think it's a good point yeah. i think it'll make things more difficult on jones because they won't be look it was clear early in this game that the Bucks were not going to let Saquon Barkley beat him. They had extra guys in the box door, blitzing safeties. They, I mean, he had eight rushes for 10 yards, for goodness sakes. That's yeah. not, you're not going to line up that way. To All due respect, he's a good back. But you're not going to line up to stop Wayne Goleman the way you line up to stop Saquon Barkley. Oh, it absolutely changes things. Just like when Zeke wouldn't be in the lineup for the Cowboys, it, it would change things if they had Tony Pollard because you want to test out the younger back. And credit to the Bucs, they did an outstanding job stopping Christian McCaffrey the previous week, so I'm sure they had a lot of confidence saying, hey, if we could contain McCaffrey, right. we could do the mm-hmm. same thing for Barkley. I think most defenses are going to continue to have a similar philosophy to Tampa Bay, let Daniel Jones beat us. And if he does, we tip our cap. If he doesn't, then it's going to be as a result of us taking away his other options. So they're going to probably look to get some double coverage towards Evan Ingram. They're going to focus on Sterling Shepard when Golden Tate comes back. And until Barkley comes back, Jones is then going to have to lean on other guys who are maybe complementary pieces to help him out and make plays. One other thing I wanted to throw out before we quickly get back to the last caller about Daniel Jones's pocket presence. Keep in mind, most of the sacks that piled up last season were against mobile quarterbacks. Mobile quarterbacks actually tend to take more sacks than the guys who don't run. Oftentimes, okay. sacks is as much of a product of the quarterback as it is the offense. I mean, look at Deshaun Watson. I mean, he still has, gets sacked well, more I, than I anyone was, else. I was going to bring that up. Last year, 62 sacks the Texans gave up. That's Deshaun Watson and Dak and, Prescott, 56. And this year it hasn't changed, by the way, Yeah. despite the fact they traded every draft pick in their arsenal for a Tunsil. Well, because Laramie Tunsil alone is not going to make up for a questionable offensive line the rest of the way. He's only one guy. Only one guy. They think that Tunsil could play all five positions simultaneously? That would be a hell of an accomplishment. Final call. You ready? Yeah. So, uh, final call ahead. of the show. Let's get it. Who yes. is it? Oh, okay, I'm keeping you from yes, you are. the final Jeff call. Jeff and Huntington yes. is up next. Jeff, what's up? Hey, hey, Wrap us up. Thanks, guys. Uh, it's an honor. Um, 
The uh, just to segue off the last caller's call regarding uh, the, the running game moving forward, it, it, what what I saw from the game, and I was as excited as everybody else to see what happened and whatnot. But my concern is moving forward about the running game, and it's not a matter of the running backs right now. I'm, I'm looking at the line, and I've always been concerned about John Jalapio in terms of how he can push you know, forward, uh, because it seemed like during the game that he was always getting pushed back. He he was pretty decent uh, on on uh, pass protection, but my, my concern was whether he was working in tandem uh, with his guard or, or whether it was by himself, but it seemed like he was having a lot of difficulty asserting uh, yes. himself. A guy named and Dominican Sud and Vita Vea. Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> understood, understood that they were packing the box there and, well, and but whatnot. Those two, but, but those two my guys, concern Jeff. was, well, how do you overcome that? Because well, somebody's going to be doing that next week, too, I would think. No, but Dominic and Sue and Vita Vea are on every team now. Now, yes, the Redskins yeah. have a good defensive they tackle do. pair, too, with Deron Payne. I'm not, is Jonathan Allen still hurt? No, I don't know Allen is still banged up. Still I don't know. Up. They play tonight, and right. who knows what's going to happen with the Redskins moving forward. But, look, they do have two good defensive tackles, and you hope the Giants are better. But, look, the Giants ran for almost seven yards a carry the first two weeks. The Bucks just have to have a really good run defense. Opponents matter. I know people think if you're good at something, you just go and you do it, and the opponent doesn't matter. The opponent matters. And the Bucks, it was it's no mistake and mystery that they were one of the best run defenses in the league. They held Christian McCaffrey, who is right on the same level of, as Barkley, maybe a, a, a rung below. He rushed for 37 yards on like 15 carries the week before. They're good at what they do, Jeff, and that's going to happen sometimes. You're not going to run it for five yards a carry every week. It, it happens to everybody. Okay. Uh, I, I'm hoping going forward that uh, we'll see some balance there. Uh, uh, it, it's just that, uh, y- you know, there are quote-unquote two number one centers, and I'm just wondering how they're going to evaluate his work going forward. Well, we'll they see. do have Spencer Pullen. Thank you, Jeff. appreciate the phone call, but I think they look at Jalapio, who has a bigger frame, and yeah. there's a reason why he won the starting job because of what they evaluated during camp and practice. Can things change? Absolutely. But I don't think after watching these three games, there really is a conversation going on no. that they're going to make a change at center. I, I think that's purely speculative. Yeah. I think the personnel on the opposite side makes a big difference as we hammered home. And you're going to get matchups where you have very good defensive tackles, John, in particular in Tampa Bay, that is not just good at stopping the run, but is great at collapsing the pocket. Not to take anything away from Shaq Barrett, but there's a reason why Shaq Barrett has eight sacks. Because what Vita Vea and Endomican Sue do for Barrett is they take so much pressure on the interior that you cannot double Shaq Barrett off the edge, John. So he gets a lot of one-on-one matchups. Well, and the quarterback can't step up in the pocket. Correct. So they're helping the pocket close. Barrett beats the guy off the edge. The quarterback's basically right into his lap. Whereas other teams who don't have a strong presence on the interior and don't collapse the pocket and stop the run as effectively, they can't afford to then focus on the edge rushers. It completely changes the dynamics of Tampa Bay's defense because of those two big boys inside. When the Giants go up against a team that doesn't have those two big boys, then you don't have the same luxury. It's a game of chess. I mean, I know it's stating somewhat of the obvious, but you have to take into consideration the personnel on the opposite side. Lance, good stuff. Absolutely. Tomorrow, Detino and Salzburg, 1.30, Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live continues. Giants now 1-2, and two, and we talked about it all year, folks. Go 2-2 two and two to start the year, and who knows what could happen. The Redskins up next. If you want a little scouting report, make sure you tune in. Redskins and Bears tonight on Monday Night Football. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for joining us. It was all brought to you by Coors Light. To win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light, text VIP to 90464 for more details. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.30 on Giants.com, everybody. Adios. Have a good one.